It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study for April fourth, two thousand and thirteen. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, joins me as usual. Dad, welcome to the program. Jacob, thank you. Glad to be with you tonight and looking forward to hearing from you. The number to call is toll-free, 877-381-4567. The email address is questions at collegeview.com. And the chat room is open to the right of your video window, and it is filling up tonight. If you're not logged in there tonight, it's very easy to do. No personal information is required. You can give yourself a pseudonym and uh, comment with other listeners on the program tonight. As we talk about really something that dovetails into the last two weeks of our uh, program. We're sort of getting on a coherent theme here, and that doesn't happen very often. No, three weeks of, yeah. uh, in a row where all the themes have yeah. been sort of related yeah. is unusual yeah. for us. But uh, we promise to break that mold next week, Lord willing. We'll go off to some other in some other some direction. Tangent. But what we did the last two weeks, for those many of you who are listening probably caught some of that discussion, uh, we dealt with the argument that's presented by doubters, skeptics, atheists, those who do not believe in God. And we dealt with the argument, or we dealt with the question, is God immoral? Because Mm -hmm. the claim is, we quoted from Richard Dawkins, uh, uh, the claim is that if you believe in the God of the Bible, you believe in a a horrible, bloody bully, basically. Mm -hmm. And so we talked about how we explain that accusation. How do we, basically, how do we explain, you know, that the Bible does contain a lot of information about violence, even violence that was committed at the command of God? And how how we as Bible believers deal with that, how we how we handle the accusation of atheists against our God, uh, and and I think that's a worthy question. And as we said several times in the course of that study, Jacob, we brought it up because we think we have to be ready to answer that right. challenge. I right. mean, we're not we're not trying to dodge or or avoid that kind of a challenge to our faith. We have to be ready to deal with it. But as a follow up to that, and you suggested this, Jacob, as a follow up that we want to talk about what we believe. About uh, concerning the existence of We were of God. sort of assuming the fact uh, the last two weeks uh, that there is a God. We want to show that there's some evidence for that on the program tonight. Yeah, so we want to talk about the positive proofs that we believe we have for the fact that there is a God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, and that's a challenge we need to be ready to answer, too. You believe in God? Why? Yeah. You, you, do you just believe in God because well, your, parents, told me to. your parents told you to? Yeah. Your parents told you there was a God or yeah. something like yeah. that. Or, or it's... It's sort of the majority opinion of our society that there's a God. No, we need a better proof than that, and I think we can give some proof. All right, we'll talk about that on the program tonight. We look forward to hearing from you. Earlier today, you sent out six questions. You're really taxing our listeners today with these. Uh, Well, some of them can be answered pretty quickly, and so we will do that as we go through. Here's here's the way we want to proceed, reminding always, if you're not getting our updates, send us an email to questions at college. Com, and we'll send you our update on Thursday about our program, telling you our subject and giving you some questions. And there's an added benefit, too. You'll get a bulletin on Tuesday. On Tuesdays, we send out our church bulletin from the previous Sunday, and you'll get that, too, if you're on our mailing and list. And you'll get stock picks on Friday. I wish. No, you don't do stock uh, picks. Uh, yeah. no, no junk mail, just yeah. two emails yeah. a week. Yeah. Okay. All right. So um, here's here's how we're going to go. And l- last week, uh, one of our listeners said, you're asking leading questions. And we said, yeah. We are because these are leading. These questions are going to lead our discussion, mm-hmm. and this is the direction we're going to go. Okay. Question one: Explain why God cannot be proved by scientific experimentation. Mm-hmm. Now, as a follow-up to that, does that mean God cannot be proved at all? If you can't prove Him by science, therefore you can't prove Him at all. Is that true? Okay. And and as a follow-up to that, can you offer examples of things you believe that cannot be proved by scientific exam experimentation? Number two: How do the how do these concepts help to prove there's a God? Cause and effect, design demands a designer. Mm-hmm. Two things we want to talk about. Okay. Uh, that design demands a designer is more commonly called intelligent design these days. Yes. We'll about that. Mm-hmm. Number three, what implications arise from, first, the universal tendency of humans to worship, 
Secondly, the morality of man is contrasted to other living things. That will be a little bit of an overlap with what we talked about in the last couple of weeks. Correct. Number four, it is commonly claimed that you cannot use the Bible to prove God's existence to an atheist. Is this true? Why or why not? All right. Number five, Number five, since an atheist rejects the existence of God and his special creative work, what are some of the things that the atheist is forced to accept? In other words, in other words if he doesn't believe in God, there's some, he's got to believe in there's some alternatives. There's consequences to not believing in God. So right. in other words, what would an atheist be, be logically forced to accept if he rejects the idea of God? Well, there's consequences of believing in God as exactly. well. All right, okay. And, 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 and in fact, we sort of want to talk about that in our last question. What advantages do you think the believer has over the unbeliever? I think there are some consequences that put us in my opinion, in a highly favored position. Okay. We'll talk about that. All right, 877-381-4567. Maybe you don't have a comment to share tonight, but you'd just like to get on that mailing list. It's questions at collegeview.com. And join in the chat room with other listeners. Jeff is behind the controls tonight. Earlier before the program, Jeff was telling us, tell me, this is going to sound pretty pop culture, a little bit more pop than I am. You can like us on Facebook now. Oh, wow. Uh, Jeff, you want to tell us about that? Yes, uh, both me. Mr. Coleman, who listens quite a bit, we both are going to be working on a page um, to, and we ask that you like it if you have a Facebook account and spread the word to your friends. Just send it to people you know, and hopefully, you know, it'll keep growing. Okay. All right. Uh, I don't know. Can you unlike it? Because I'm afraid somebody might want to do that. Well, we wouldn't have any evidence. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Someone says, I... Not only do I not like it, I dislike it. Uh, yeah, I, I hope that's not the yeah, case. No, but not, yeah. I'm not a Facebook person. I don't have a Facebook account. So I, I'm going to trust uh, for uh, Jeff and Jack and others maybe to tend to that. Our, our faces socially. weren't meant for a book, yeah, yeah. for sure. All, All right. right. Go ahead. All right. So what about this first question, Jacob? Explain why God cannot be proven by scientific experimentation. Well, our listener, Tim, last week uh, sent us a uh, a scathing email telling us we didn't understand uh, science and uh, how you get uh, what a theory is and what a law is, and we do understand that, and uh, and we have uh, understand that uh, God cannot be proven by any scientific experimentation. There's no laws that say that God must exist. Yeah, well, there is a thing called the scientific process. Yes, and so what you do in a scientific process is you. You compose a hypothesis mm-hmm. of what you think might be so, mm-hmm. and then you put the hypothesis to test. And typically in a controlled environment, you perform experiments and you observe, you measure, you you take readings mm-hmm. and try to conclude whether or not the hypothesis you've posed is true or not. Mm-hmm. But it, it requires uh, being able to re- reproduce a process an observable process which can be monitored and measured to reach a positive conclusion. Yeah. For instance, if I were to tell you, Jacob, you can take water, mm-hmm. and if you get it cold enough, mm-hmm. that water will turn hard as a rock. You're kidding me. And if you said, what? Yeah. That's not possible. Yeah. I can prove that to you. Right. I can take you into a controlled situation, okay. and I, could, I can subject this liquid water to... Subfreezing temperatures and turn it into a rock hard substance. And if you don't believe it the first time I do it, I can do it a second time, a third time, a fifth time, a hundredth time until you finally say, well, it must be so. I okay. see it again and again and again. Right. What if I told you you can take that same liquid water and you can make it disappear into thin air? Wow. Yeah. And if you said, I oh, you got to have to prove that one. Yeah. If you said, I don't believe it, yeah. I, we again go, to, go into a yeah. controlled situation. We heat that water up, boil it away, make it disappear yeah. into the air. All right. And you say, I saw it, but I don't believe it. Well, let me do it again. We do it again and again and again until you're finally convinced. Now, that's in a very, very oversimplified way. That's how the scientific process works. Right, right. Now, in regards to God, we can't do that. We can't produce him Mm -hmm. for observation and measurement. Okay. And so we, we would acknowledge that God cannot be proven by the scientific method. Right. Scientific experimentation is not... A means by which we can can uh, establish that fact. Okay, uh, some of our listeners responded to your question. Jason, who's in the chat room in Pennsylvania tonight, says most scientists rule out uh, from the very beginning the possibility of the existence of God. They want to only have uh, naturalistic answers for why things are the way they are. Also, since God is spirit, He cannot be subjected to the scientific method. That's right. That's right. right. 
uh, Chris in the UK uh, says there are different definitions of science, but basically science is the branch of study which seeks to observe, discover, and understand how the universe and everything in it works. Science is based on the scientific method, which is a systematized attempt to learn through observations, hypothesis, testing, hypothesis, testing, to validate or invalidate the hypothesis, and developing a theory, a principle generally accepted to be true, that sufficiently explains the phenomenon. Science looks at natural phenomena through measuring, weighing, seeing, and so forth. God, by definition, is not limited to the universe, therefore it would not be expected that physical detection of God would be found. Well, I would... I would um I would have a little bit of problem with that. I don't think you get a theory at the end of the scientific method. You get uh, you get fact and laws at the end of it. It's, yeah. You don't have a theory at the end. Yeah. If it can be shown, if it's proven, proven it's, not scientific, it's not a theory. For instance, we often talk about the theory of evolution. Right. It's, a, it's a posed theory. You can't but it's go not to proved. you can't go to a laboratory right. and prove that. But but I could prove water freezes at right. 32 degrees right. Fahrenheit. Right. But you or can't. zero for Chris zero Celsius. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Chris. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, but you. You can't, in the laboratory, in ideal conditions, manipulating every variable that you can manipulate, you cannot prove that uh, the theory of evolution evolution is true. So it stays a theory. It stays a theory. Versus an established scientific law. There's a a difference between a law and a theory. All right, Chris, in Atlanta, who would uh, think water freezes at 32 degrees, says the scientific method requires you to be able to directly observe what you're trying to prove, which is impossible to do with God. All right. Jack in the, in, uh, has got an email uh, that we didn't get in time to print off, Jacob. Let me read what he says here on this. Uh, why God cannot be proved by scientific experimentation. He created the universe and everything contained within the universe. As such, we are not capable to prove uh, whether God is or is not. Let's see. We are not capable to prove neither who God is nor all that he has created. I think that's right. I, I, if I was going to re, rephrase what Jack is saying there. He's he's outside the bounds of physical of the physical universe. Right. Science is the discovery of of what's in the physical right. universe. Right. And the explanation of what's in the physical. Right. God supersedes the physical universe, right. and and for that for that reason, very very simply, we can't touch him. Yeah. We can't feel him. We can't hear him audibly. Right. Uh, we can't taste him with our tongue. You know, uh, so we can't use our senses and our observation in order to prove God. Rebecca in the chat room poses an interesting question. She says, am I the only one who loves that God cannot be proven by science? Something tangible? It just makes God that much more awesome to me. Appreciate that comment, Rebecca. Yeah. All right. Um, it, uh, it, does, uh, it does put him on a different level. I mean, if he, if he could be reproduced in a test tube then that would be he'd be a very small god i think yeah all right all right now i think the important follow-up to that is does that mean i mean we're acknowledging we're we're openly acknowledging you can't prove god by the scientific method or scientific experimentation does that mean that we just have to retreat and say okay we just god can't be proved at all so we just we just got to accept it because it can't be proved you're going to accept it or not you're going to take that blind leap of faith or not because uh, God, you can't use science, therefore you can't prove it, uh, that God exists. We can't prove other things that people hold uh, belief in without any doubt at all. We can't prove that George Washington ever existed. Well, someone might say that that you can go to to history of people who did observe him. In other words, you, you, you we've got that you can't scientifically do prove him. Well, existed. Yeah, you can't scientifically prove. And so you're talking about, in that case, we're talking about historic proof. That's a different kind of proof. For for instance, maybe put this also on a very simple level. Let's say that a murder Mm -hmm. has been committed. Mm -hmm. Let's say that Jeff over there is suspected of having shot a man. Oh, Jeff. Jeff, you shouldn't have done that, man. Well... All right. Now, how are we going to prove that? The man's dead. We're not going to be able to recreate the event. We're not going to be able to observe Jeff do the the, the act. Right. And maybe no one saw it. Maybe there were no witnesses. Right. Does that mean, therefore, Jeff is going to go scot-free because we didn't see it and we can't reproduce it? We can't use the... Our five senses to observe the act, therefore, we're just going to have to say it's not provable. No, Jeff's going to go scot-free. Yeah. No. We're going to throw him in a slammer. We're going to throw him under the jailhouse okay. because we've got his gun. we got his fingerprints. We've got motive. we got method. 
In other words, there are lots of different ways to prove things. Scientific proof is one form of proof, but it's not the only kind of proof. All right. Okay. All right. All right. Now, let's see what our listeners have to say about this. Jason in Pennsylvania says, in my opinion, God does not need to be proved at all. The Bible says all men are without excuse already if they reject him. They are suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, Romans 1, 18 through 23. In other words, everyone already knows God exists. My experience has been that those who reject God do not do it for intellectual reasons, but for moral reasons. Instead of proving God, unbelievers need to be shown that if they reject Christ, their worldview is reduced to foolishness, as Romans 1, 21 through 22, and Psalm 14, verse 1 says. Only the existence of the biblical God can give us a rational and logical basis for truth, knowledge, objective morality, reason, and the immaterial universal, unchanging laws of logic, science, mathematics, physics, etc. If you reject God, there is not a rational basis to even do science. They believe in these things, but they reject the one who gives them. The only way to argue against God is to borrow from him to do it. Atheism's inability to account for these things from their worldview proves that a worldview without God is incoherent, inconsistent, and foolish, Psalm 14, verse 1. Theism is proved by the impossibility of the contrary, atheism. This argument is called the transcendental argument for the existence of God. I believe it is one of the best, but is one of the least known arguments among brethren. Instead of trying to prove God to those who are suppressing the truth, this argument deals with the presuppositions that an unbelieving worldview cannot account for or logically hold if their worldview is true. Interesting. Appreciate that, Jason. Thank you, Jason. Chris in the UK, Chris in the UK makes an interesting point. It, 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 it almost gets you caught in a in a uh, a loop, a mental thinking loop. He says, oh, first, we're going to get dizzy, huh? Yeah. First, he says the non-existence of God cannot be proved. Ah. So the challenge to the atheist would be to prove that God does not exist. To do that, uh, you'd have to be everywhere in every every conceivable place and time and be able to confirm that God is not there. Uh-huh. You know, and, and of course, as we've already said, God's a spirit, so you, you can't even measure him in physical ways. Okay. Okay. But no, the, the non-existence of God cannot be proved. One cannot prove a universal negative, he says. I think that's, oh. a, I think that's an interesting point. But like I said, it's kind of, it's kind of a mind-warping Whoa. concept yeah. when you stop to think. Ugh. But he says, alternately, the existence of God is provable. And he's going to get into some of the things we want to talk about a little bit later. So I'm not going to read all of this answer right now. But he says, both the direct and indirect evidence of God's existence are well-known and well-documented. Nothing in history, for instance, is better uh, known or better documented than the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He talks about Jesus' miracles, witnessed by many, documented redundantly for additional corroboration. He was seen by at least 500 people after his resurrection, for instance. Uh, uh-huh. And so he gives those kind of evidence. We're going to talk a little bit more about this. I'm not going to read all that right now. Yeah, that's um, interesting. All right. Yeah, okay. And he, he also goes on and talks about mathematical and logical truths, metaphysical truths, ethical truths, aesthetic truths, science itself. Uh, the existence of the universe, the beginning of the universe. Going, well, the now you're getting, you're getting ahead. You're getting ahead. You're going. Right. You're going to our next part okay, of that question. Okay, but he's going to get into some yeah. of those things that, that show why why it exists. All right. Yeah, and uh, Chris in Atlanta says, if we can't use science, can we not prove God? He says it does not mean that God cannot be proved. We may not be able to directly observe Him, but we can observe plenty of evidences of God. The biggest one of all is the fact that we exist. The other major proof is the extraordinary evidence of Jesus' resurrection. Mm. We agree. If Jesus did resurrect, then that would uh, lead us to believe there is a God. That's an interesting point. All right. And back, and then, to, back to Jason's uh, comment. Here he says, uh, those who argue against God have to borrow from him to do it. You know, that's uh, what we talked about the last two weeks, people borrowing from the morality that God has given us to try and argue against God. So thank okay. you for that, Jason. And Jack, in, by email, says, simply looking at all the wonderful things we see around us can prove God. Romans 1, beginning verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. And that really leads to this idea of, you know, uh, design demands a designer. We're going to talk about that more. Uh, but before we do, just real quickly, uh, we're way, way, way out past time. Let's, we'll do this when we get back. What are some, what are some things that you believe 
that cannot be proved by the sci- by the scientific method. We'll, other things that you believe. Yeah. We'll what talk are some about other that. things? We'll talk about that. There's some atheists out there who are believing some things that they can't prove by the scientific method. What are some of those things? Let us know your thoughts as we go to a break. Uh, Jack in the chat room says it takes uh, faith to believe that God exists, uh, such as it takes faith to believe this universe same, somehow came into existence uh, with some force. The complexity of our planet points to a deliberate designer who not only created our universe but sustains it today. What do you think? Let us know your thoughts. We'll be back right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Hi, I'm Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a suggestion for you and your family. Why not turn off the TV on Thursday nights and gather the family around the computer for an hour of in-depth Bible study? The virtual Bible study always involves subjects of importance and interest to serious Bible students. So, why not join this Internet Bible study group every Thursday night? Here's some quotes worth pondering. A good name, like goodwill, is got by many actions and lost by one. Every right implies a responsibility. Every opportunity, an obligation. Every possession, a duty. Man, wish I'd said that. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Colossians 3:17. Now, back to the program. And we're back on the program tonight, and we are glad that you're listening as we talk about evidence for the existence of God. No, He can't be proven by scientific experimentation, but we believe He can be proven to exist uh, by the things that we see around us. What are your thoughts but, tonight? But there's also things we believe that are not provable by science. We sure. ask, in other words, we, the, the other part of that question is, can you offer examples of things you believe that cannot be proved by scientific experimentation? Jason has offered naturalism, the philosophy that the natural world is all is all there, cannot be proven scientifically. This is one of the philosophies that science is based on. If you try to prove scientifically, you beg the question. You cannot prove the natural world is all there, is all there by looking at, natu- at the natural world. I'm not all sure. All there I is. Is all there? Oh, okay. I'm leaving out where you cannot prove the natural world is all there is by looking at the natural world. Well, that's interesting. That's also kind of a mind warping concept. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He says the belief that all knowledge is gained through the five senses, uh, empiricalism, cannot logically be known through the five senses. It cannot be proven scientifically, but is another one of the philosophies scientists use to gain knowledge. Mm-hmm. You cannot prove scientifically that our ability to reason is functioning properly. There must be presuppose these must be presupposed to do science, and you cannot prove we exist. This statement cannot be proven by the scientific method without first presupposing it. Wow, Jason! Jason's really deep. He's here. getting into some deep water. He says scientists conduct experiments based on their faith in the uniformity of nature, the belief that the future will be like the past. This cannot be proven scientifically; it can only be believed based upon the word of God. It cannot, number six, it cannot be proved scientifically that life came from non-life on its own. We're going to talk more about yeah. that in a minute. And macroevolution cannot be proved scientifically. People believe in it, but that, now that's something you can't prove anyway. Yeah, thank you, Jason. But people that. believe in it, but they don't, they're not able to prove it. And then, then Chris in the U.K. had a really long one uh, of things that, you can, that, that people believe that cannot be proved by scientific experimentation. Logical and mathematical proof. Oh, I got to jump through. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Logical and mathematical truths, which are pre- presupposed by science. Metaphysical truths, like the past was not created five minutes ago with an appearance of age. Ethical truths, ascetic truths, science itself, since science is based upon assumptions that can't be proved. The existence of the universe, why is there a universe at all? The beginning of the universe, the the existence of scientific laws. Uh, he says these things, science cannot. Uh, so far, these are things that science cannot explain in principle. Here are a couple more that science cannot explain at present, arguably uh, are such that science is unlikely to ever provide more than partial explanation. The existence of conscious minds, the fine-tuning of physical constants, most of the things that are of greatest importance to us, such as love, meaning, purpose, and the need for significance, most of the things that happen in our, in our lives, such as why a person lives in a certain place, works in a particular job, or marries a particular person, all things that are outside the realm of scientific experimentation. Okay. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, Chris. And the other Chris in Atlanta says, uh, here are five things that the denominational apologist William Lane Craig lists. Logical and mathematical truths cannot be proven by science. Science presupposes logic and math. To try to prove them by science would be arguing in a circle. Metaphysical truths, such as that there are other minds other than my own, or that the external world is real, or that the past wasn't created five minutes ago with the appearance of age. That's what Chris gave us, too. Yeah. Ethical beliefs, 
about statements of value are not accessible by the scientific method. You can't show by science whether the Nazis, uh, Nazi scientists did anything in the camps that is evil as opposed to the scientists in Western democracies. Aesthetic judgments cannot be assessed by the scientific method because the beautiful, like the good, cannot be scientifically proven. And science itself cannot be justified by the scientific method. Science is uh, permeated by improvable assumptions. For example, the special theory of relativity. The whole theory hinges on the assumption that the speed of light is constant in one way, uh, a direction from point A to point B. It must be assumed. So, uh, interesting. Thank you, Chris. Uh, and Jack says uh, things you believe in that can't be proved by science include moral truth. Science can't prove that cheating is evil, for instance. Logical truth. Consider the statement. Science is the only way to really know truth. How could you prove that statement by science? You can't. History. Science cannot prove that Barack Obama won the 2008 presidential election. Experiential truth. Science cannot prove that your spouse loves you. So all of those are good. And what we're simply saying is, don't let someone say that because you can't prove God by science, you can't prove God. We believe things that are not scientifically provable. Lots of things. And and that's the only point we're trying to establish. There. And the atheist who wants to get on his high horse and tell you that he's not going to believe in God because he can't prove him in a laboratory, well, the atheist believes things that he can't prove in a laboratory as well. And so he has no ground to stand on that. What about uh, your thoughts? Let us know. We'd like to hear from you on the program tonight. All right. All right. Quickly, let's move into our second question. How do these concepts help to prove there is a God? First of all, I think this is, to me, a very powerful one, cause and effect. Cause and effect. The, the law of cause and effect says every effect demands an adequate cause. In other okay. words, if you see something, there must be something that caused that something to be so. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, you see this desk. Something must have caused this desk to be so. Right. Cause and effect. It's, I mean, we depend upon that every day. Right. Uh, you, you know, if, if you walked out and saw that, that that the window in your car had been smashed. Yes. You'd want. What would be your first reaction? What What caused that? What Who happened? Did that? Who did that? What happened here? Who's been? Why, why has my kid been throwing rocks in my car? You would. You would. You would know that since the window is broken in the car, something caused the window to be broken. Right. Cause and effect. We 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 operate on that basis. Constantly, really, all throughout every day, that's the basis upon which our minds work, cause and effect. Now, the atheist is going to say, well, I got you there. What caused God? The law of cause and effect is limited to the physical realm, not the spiritual. That's right. We're saying God is the great uncaused first cause. The naturalist is saying everything must have a natural cause. We're acknowledging a belief in an uncaused first cause, God. Right. They don't have that first cause, and so they don't have they don't have any way to begin. But they know they need it, and yeah. uh, you know, last week Tim admitted that the, that the, the, this Earth and this universe is not a closed system because yeah. it doesn't work in his theory. Yeah, here's uh, keeping this idea of cause and effect in mind. Think about the physical universe, the, the physical universe, the stars, the planets, uh, all that exists in the massive physical universe. What would be our options? It's obviously here. We see it. We observe it. We can even measure the universe scientifically. We know that the universe exists okay. based upon scientific observation. Mm-hmm. So since the universe exists, what are our choices? Well, there's only three choices, really. You narrow those down real easily. First, the universe is eternal. It's always existed. That would be one answer. Okay. Secondly, it, it's not eternal, but it created itself. The universe created itself. That would be a second option. Right. So it either always existed or it created itself or it was created by some external force, something outside itself, something superior to it, something that supersedes it. That's the only three choices you could have. Can you think of any other? I can't. All right. So it's all, either it's eternal. It, it created itself or some something else created it. Okay. All, all right. right. Got it. All right. So first of all, is the universe eternal? The answer to that is no from a scientific standpoint. Uh, Dr. Robert Jastrow, in a book called Until the Sun Dies, wrote, As a result of most recent discoveries, we say with a fair degree of confidence that our universe has not existed forever, that it began abruptly without apparent cause in a blinding event that defies scientific explanation. So scientists acknowledge that our universe is not eternal. Right. It had a beginning point. Have you ever heard them talk about the Big Bang? Right. They're talking about the beginning of the universe. They know that the universe had a, a, a point of origin. So it's not eternal. Take that it's off not. the table. So the first okay. time. Now, 
could it have created itself? Okay, let's talk about that. Uh, the answer is no. Nothing comes from nothing. There's no natural process whereby matter could from nothing create itself. And this is the very law of cause and effect. Every effect demands an adequate cause. The scientific law of cause and effect says something couldn't have created itself out of nothing. Right. So it's it, and so, so the crea- universe didn't create itself. It's not eternal. It didn't create itself. The only option left is that mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. superior force, something external to the universe, something be, that that supersedes the universe and supersedes it would be God. Uh, and we believe that is the answer. God existed before the universe did. It. He before the universe did. He is superior to it. He is of a different nature. Uh, he is that uncaused first cause. Uh, and even the Bible argues this way. The passage that Jack referenced to us earlier in Romans chapter 1, beginning verse 18. Uh, also, Hebrews 3, verse 4 says, Every house is built by some man, but he that created all things, he that built all things is God. Let me That's read right. That. You nailed it. Did I get it right? You got it. Uh, in other words, you see a house. You don't just assume that the house sprouted up there on its own. You say, right. I wonder, if you were driving down a road that you're very familiar with yeah. Yeah. and but it's been several months since yeah. you drove down that yeah. road. And you drove down the road, and, and you looked at and there's a house there. Yeah. What would you say? You'd say, wonder who built that house. Right. You wouldn't say, look, that house just sprang up there on its own. Yeah. So By cause, cause and effect would tell you to say, immediately, you, wouldn't, you would assume that someone did that. You don't know who it is, but someone built that house. Yeah. That's the argument for God, the creation of the universe. All right. Uh, well, we need to take a break. Uh, we'll get our, our listeners' thoughts on the other side. What do you think? This is the idea of cause and effect help you understand that there must be a God. And maybe you're listening and you're not. You don't believe in God. Maybe you're an atheist tonight and you're listening. Uh, what do you think? How do you explain the existence of the universe? We've shown that even scientists admit it is not eternal and the law of, of cause and effect shows that it couldn't create itself. So how did the universe get here? Let us know your thoughts. 877-381-4567. We're back right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. This is Greg Gwen with this week's bullet point. Self-justification is a highly developed skill in most individuals. In school, on the job, in our marriages, and in almost every other activity and relationship, we will quickly revert to self-justification if some criticism is leveled in our direction. When it comes to our spiritual service to God, we also rush to defend ourselves if it's suggested that we are negligent and need to improve in one area or another. One of the classic methods frequently employed in the art of self-justification is to compare oneself to someone who is viewed as worse. I may not attend services as regularly as I should, but I'm present more often than brother so-and-so. Or, I may have a bad temper and I often display it, but I've heard one of the other members burst out in rage and he even used cuss words. Or, I may not give much to the church, but I've watched what some of the other people around me put in the plate and I'm giving more than they are, and the examples could simply be multiplied. The inspired apostle Paul destroyed forever the work of these self-justifiers who compare themselves to others when he said, We dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12. Learn the lesson. A right standing with God is not determined by finding someone that you think is worse than you are. Anybody can do that. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm Arthur Haynes from Kaleoka, Tennessee, and one of my greatest highlights of the week is to listen to the virtual Bible study. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. And we're back on the program tonight, and we remind you this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com, where you can podcast recent sermons that have been presented here as well as find out more about what we believe and what we practice, and you can find out directions to our meeting place. Check out our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. If you have any questions, we welcome them at any time, questions at collegeview.com. We're talking about evidence for the existence of God on the program tonight. We're in a discussion about cause and effect, something that we all understand and uh, that uh, the atheist must admit uh, that if something is here, there had to be something that caused it. Jason in Pennsylvania says the natural universe began to exist. This has been proven scientifically. If the natural universe began to exist, then the universe has a transcendent cause, a cause greater than nature and outside of nature. This transcendent cause is best explained by the existence of the biblical God, who is a transcendent, eternal, all-powerful being. Thank you, Jason. 
Kristen U.K. says, simply put, the law of cause and effect states that every material effect must have an adequate cause that existed before the effect. I think that's important. The cause existed before the effect. Okay. Uh, he says, five-year-olds are wonderful at using the law of cause and effect. We can picture a small child asking, Mommy, where do peaches come from? His mother says that they come from peach trees. Then the child asks, where do the trees come from? And his mother explains that they come from peaches. You can see the cycle. Eventually, the child wants to know how the first peach tree got here. He can see very well that it must have had a cause, and he wants to know what the cause is. For one thing for sure, the universe did not create itself. We know this for scientific fact, because matter cannot create matter. If we take a rock that weighs one pound and do five or 50,000 experiments on it, we'll never be able to produce more than one pound of rock. So whatever caused the universe could not have been material. Some people today are saying that the universe evolved from nothing. However, if there had been a time when absolutely nothing existed, then there would be nothing now because it always is true that nothing produces nothing. If something exists now, then something always has existed. The Bible certainly is not silent about what caused the universe. In the very first verse, of the first chapter of the book, uh, of the first book, in the beginning, God created heavens and earth. Acts seventeen twenty four, God who made the world and everything in it. Uh, uh, Exodus twenty eleven, in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that in them is. God is undoubtedly an adequate cause. He's all powerful. Genesis seventeen one, God told Abraham, I am Almighty God. He came before this material world, fulfilling the criteria that the cause must come before the effect. The psalmist wrote, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God, Psalm 90, verse 2. And he definitely would instill within mankind the concept of morality, since he is a God of morals. Titus 1, 2 says he cannot lie. Only God fits the criteria of an adequate cause that came before the universe. I think you're right on, Chris. Chris in Atlanta says every effect must have a cause. A popular theory among physicists is the multiverse theory. Paraphrasing, it states that there are infinite amounts of universes that when they collide, a new universe is created with properties from both universes. This very well may be the case, though I doubt it, but all this does is push the question of cause back. Something had to have caused the first two universes. Yeah. And, uh, all right, it doesn't, it doesn't answer that the doesn't problem. That doesn't answer the uh, yeah. problem. All right. All right, great. Thank all you, right. Jeff. We got, and we got an email from Jack who says, let me get this here real quick. Uh, hot off the presses tonight. Hot off the presses. Uh, he says, cause and effect. These cons- these complex truths, such as a moral code, had to be designed and then somehow implanted. Science can't explain how moral truths came to existence. Oh, this is a little bit different. I'm going to hold that answer. Hang on to that answer. For a minute. Uh, okay, hold on. Okay. We'll All right. track that. All right. We'll get back to that. We've got the cause and effect that uh, we have to admit that something had to cause the universe. It is not eternal. Scientists admit that it is not eternal. So what could have caused it? We believe that God is the cause. All right? There's other concepts, though, that help us to prove that there is a God. One that, that we hear a lot more about these days, and I think it's a great argument, is design demands a designer, Jacob. Uh, you know, we, we, we can just we could spend the rest of our time and a lot more time talking about all the amazing uh, demonstrations of design in the universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably, I think, Almost certainly, no greater example exists than that of the human body okay. and how it functions. Yes, uh, mind and body. Uh, how did how did it happen? I mean, you see that. So it, back to this, we were talking earlier about this desk, Jacob. Yeah, this desk is here. There must have been something that caused it to be here. Right. More so, this desk manifest evidence of design. Right. Somebody obviously spent some time thinking this out. Right. Making a a plan and then pursuing that plan to put all the pieces together right, in right. a workable fashion. Right. So not only the the presence of this desk, but the obvious design that went into this desk argue that there was a desk maker. On the other, we know who he was. Oh yes, we do, and quite a quite intelligent uh, desk maker. But we uh, we understand this principle. The evolutionist wants us to believe, however, that the the, the complex universe that we see is the, is the result ultimately, of a big explosion. And as a result of that explosion, we have the complexity and the design that we see today. It is the equivalent of a tornado going through uh, a lumberyard and creating a subdivision. Yeah. I mean, that, that, I mean that, that, in fact, that is uh, infinitely less of a stretch than the idea that we had a big bang. Or, or, I've, get... I, or I've heard the other illustration being a monkey sitting down in a typewriter and right. given enough time, he, he produces the Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It is crazy. Um, back to the human body and the complexity of it. I was uh, thinking about that last night. My wife is uh, suffering with allergies, and they're raging right now. And so I went to the medicine cabinet, and I got her a, a, a pill for her allergies. Small little thing. And the body's chemistry is so complex that just a little bit of whatever's in that pill can alter that chemistry enough. And, and in other words, and, and, and that... Because the body is so well designed, intelligent men have been able to figure out that design. Right. In other words, for instance, they've been able to figure out how the body is designed so that they can put something into it that will short-circuit that allergic reaction. Right. And so, I mean, that the very fact that we can do medicines indicates that the body is, is predictably, intelligently designed. Not too long ago, I had a physical and I uh, got the reports back, and there were lots of uh, terms on there that I did not understand from the blood work. And uh, numbers, all kinds of numbers that they tested. And they knew that certain chemicals in the body should be within a certain range. I have no idea what those chemicals are, but my body knows what those chemicals are, and it produces those no, chemicals no, and regulates no, them. No, you don't have to tell it every day. Make make um, my cholesterol this. Get my bilirubin down. Yeah. No, no it works, and it, and it regulates those to a, to an exact uh, uh, speci- uh, specified amount. It is amazing. And, yeah. and the design, to say that that happened uh, just by chance, it, it uh, is not logical. Uh, Jason uh, says Hebrews 3, 4, every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. You can observe scientifically that there is a design in the universe. It just baffles me that no logical person would believe uh, a painting of the universe can paint itself, but will believe that the entire universe that is put together with such precision can happen by itself. The same is the case for the complexity of a single-celled organism. It's so complex that it could not have come into being on its own. It had a designer. You know, the, the, his illustration there about uh, the universe versus representation of the universe is a pretty well-known story about Sir Isaac Newton, mm-hmm. who was apparently a believer in a creative God. He had someone construct for him the, the known solar system of that day, the sun and the planets that revolved around it. And, and whoever did it did it quite magnificently. Supposedly, the story goes, that you could turn a crank and you could watch the planets revolve the sun uh, in their orbit. And he had a friend who came in who did not believe in God. And he saw this model sitting there on the table in Sir Isaac Newton's desk. And he turned the crank and it moved. And he said, this thing is marvelous. Who made this? And Newton said, nobody. It, it just it just appeared there. And the guy says, you must think I'm some kind of a fool. Of course someone made this. And I want to know who it is. Yeah. And then Newton made the point. This is just a puny scale model of the real thing. Yeah. You would not believe that this puny scale model could happen on its own, yet you want me to believe that the, the real thing, the real solar system, happened on its own. Right. And it's, the story goes, it's a well-known, often told story, the story goes that that caused Newton's friend to become a believer in God. All right. Well, uh, Chris in the U.K. says you have the watchmaker, watchmaker analogy, which I think you're quite familiar with, as I'm sure I've heard you use it. The proof of a designer I love is that he knows the end product of the process, and the butterfly is a beautiful example. As it took forethought to design an insect that starts as a caterpillar, which is sterile, crawls along and eats vegetation to the point where he can, where he pupates into a flying insect who feeds through a straw and can reproduce. No random happenstance setup of evolution could have that uh, occur. Okay. Chris in Atlanta says... Uh, DNA alone is enough to prove a designer. There's so much information stored in a single strand of DNA that it would be ludicrous to say that it was all by chance. Additionally, the universe is fine-tuned for life. There are multiple variables that even if even one was off just slightly, life could not exist. The odds of this happening by chance are astronomical. All right. right. Okay. And Jack says, uh, here, and let me get to Jack's answer now. Uh, he says, these complex truths such as moral code had to be designed and then someone implanted into somehow implanted into humans. Science can't explain how moral truths came into existence. A moral code didn't just happen on its own uh, over thousands of years. The only explanation is that there must be an infinite being who designed all these truths. There's no other explanation. Ask a scientist. No one on this planet would consider that a fine Swiss watch just happened to come together or mysteriously assemble all its thousands of parts through some process simply as a result of a period of time. There had to be a designer and a creator. So why would anyone even think that there wasn't a designer or creator who fashioned 
the incredible human body. All right. Thank you, Jack, for that. Jack in the chat room also sent this a long time ago, but it fits into the discussion now. 23 minutes ago in the chat room, Jack said the Earth, is its size is perfect. The Earth's size and corresponding gravity holds a thin layer of mostly nitrogen and oxygen gases, which only extend about 50 miles above the Earth's surface. If the Earth were smaller, an atmosphere would be impossible, like the planet Mercury. And so um, just n- numerous uh, uh, facts that show us that there's design here. All right. We're going to take our last break. When we get back, we've got to go rapid fire about uh, some other proofs for the existence of God. Wow. We are only two questions deep, and we've got six to go, or six total, four, four yeah. to go. Yeah. So we're going to have very few minutes. Let's get to the break, and we'll get your thoughts on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The Virtual Bible Study will be back right after this. Tonight on Channel 8 WSIN, it's TV like you've never seen it before. Starting at 8, it's TV's funniest new comedy, Fornication in the City, and Marie has been misbehaving again. Guess what? I just cheated on my husband. He doesn't even know about it. (laughs) And then at 8.30, it's the show that's setting the standard. You won't want to miss this week's I Love This World, where Bob makes a great announcement. Well, I think it's time you knew the truth. I'm gay. (laughs) And at 9 o'clock, it's the show that Television Magazine has called the number one drama for murder and violence. You won't want to miss this week's In Cold Blood to see who will be the next to be gunned down. It all starts tonight at 8 o'clock on Channel 8 WSIN. I'm Greg Gwynn reminding you that sin is a terrible thing and that those who are entertained by watching others sin fall under the condemnation of God that is mentioned in Romans 128. Be careful what you watch on television because in spite of what the devil wants you to think, sin is always sin and it's never funny. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. A recent study shows that poor households with annual take-home incomes under 13000 on average spend $645 a year on lottery tickets, which comes to about 9% of their yearly income. That information is via dailyfinance.com. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight, going to the top of the hour, rapid fire to finish up our discussion of evidences for the existence of God. All right, we talked about cause and effect. We talked about design demands of design. Real quickly, i got to get jacked in the chat room. He says, uh, the human brain, here's evidence of design. The human brain processes more than a million messages a second. Your brain weighs the importance of all this data, filtering out the relatively unimportant. This screening function is what allows you to focus and operate effectively in your world. The brain functions differently than other organs. There is an intelligence to it, the ability to reason, to produce feelings, to dream, a plan, to take action, and relate to other people. Uh, I think that's just... Uh, he concludes, and the brain just happened to be created to over time. That, yeah, we're supposed to believe the brain just happened just, over Oh, time. yeah, there was this, this, mu- this mush or this pond, and boy, something crawled out of it, and that's how we got this. Oh, oh, boy. Okay, real quickly, I ask, what are the implications of, first of all, the universal tendency of humans to worship? The, the fact of the matter is that wherever men have been found, in whatever time and place they've been found, they've been found to be worshiping something that they regarded to be superior to themselves. Where did that tendency in humans come from? Now, I think I can explain it because all humans have common ancestry. We're all the descendants of Adam. More recently than that, we're all the descendants of Noah. All men everywhere, all cultures uh, uh, permeated the earth after the flood, carrying with them the notion of a superior being, God. Now, they corrupted it and morphed it and changed it but men, as they populated the earth, went out with the understanding of a God. I think that's where that comes from. Now, if that's not the answer, what is the answer? All right, let us know your thoughts on that. Jason says, this shows that there is something inside of mankind that leads them to look outside of themselves for answers. It also confirms the truth of Scripture that all men really do believe in God. Everyone worships something or someone. They either worship the one and only true God of heaven, or they worship something or someone they put in his place, such as Allah, Buddha, science, evolution, sin, etc. This also shows that we are really are different from animals. Animals do not worship. All right. And then, we. so I think that's true. Jack said there must be something greater than the human, something that human feels compelled to pay homage and respect and even give their lives for. 
Uh, that is in us. Uh, that, that is just in us. The other thing is, what's the what's the implications of the morality of man contrasted with other living things? We, we're going to just talk about that real briefly, pass by, because we talked about that quite yeah. a bit the last two weeks with, yeah. with our discussion of atheism and atheist attacks on the morality of God. We, we ask over and over again, how does the atheist explain how humans develop moral behavior when it wasn't in their evolutionary best interest to do so? And, uh, you know, although the listener last week, Tim, who was an atheist, criticized it for us, we're just simply saying they can offer, they can make attempted explanations. We've never to date heard an explanation that really makes sense, that is satisfactory to explain the origin of morality. Jason in Pennsylvania says morality is the Achilles heel of atheism. The presence of objective morality amongst man proves we believe that we have more value than other animals. A- atheism does not have a basis for this belief or for objective morality, which was clearly seen last week. All right, and Chris in Atlanta says, as stated the last two weeks, our morals had to have come from God. They're not just a byproduct of evolutionary process. Evolutionary process, as it is explained but not proven, evolutionary process could never have produced the morality that we see in humans today. Okay. All right, quickly, uh, moving on to uh, in our questions. Question four was this. It's commonly claimed that you can't use the Bible to prove God's existence to an atheist. Is this true? And that, uh, this was a leading question, Jacob. I was trying, yes, to, was. I was trying was. to bring out something okay. here. You had something in mind. My idea is you can't say, well, God exists because he said he did. Genesis 1. You can't say Genesis 1.1 says in the beginning God. Therefore, Genesis 1.1 proves there's a God because it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Yeah. I'm not saying you can prove God's existence that way by just quoting verses from the scripture that say he exists. Mm-hmm. But my thinking is that we often do this, Jacob. We talk about the very powerful evidences of inspiration of mm-hmm. the Bible, mm-hmm. that the Bible is an inspired document. And, and we give all those proofs like fulfilled prophecy, yeah. like scientific foreknowledge, all those different proofs. We've talked about them on the virtual Bible study before. If we can prove that the Bible is inspired, then we have in a back doorway, proven that there must be a God who inspired it. Right. So, again, I think you can use the Bible in that. You can't just quote the Bible to an atheist and expect him to believe it. But if you can prove to the atheist that the Bible is a unique document, that it is different from any other book in the world, that it is truly inspired, then you have effectively proven that there must be a God who inspired it. It is interesting. Um... Uh, yeah, Chris in Atlanta, I think, picked up on your brainwave there. He said it is not true. The Bible is, among other things, an accurate record of ancient history. Time and time again, archaeological discoveries prove this. Additionally, there are many scientific facts listed in the Bible that could not have been known by the writers. So he's, so he's so getting it's inspired. Yeah. It's inspired. All okay. right. All right. Uh, we're going to have to move on. Uh, we asked number five. Uh, question number five was, since an atheist rejects the existence of God and his special creative work, what are some of the things that the atheist is forced to explain, or excuse me, forced to accept? In other words, he, he refuses to believe that there's a God. He will not accept that God exists. So since he doesn't have God as an explanation, he's got to, he's got to believe in some other things. Uh, in my list, he... Uh, the two things that I think are most powerful is he has to believe in eternal matter. Right, he has to. He, he, if, if there's not a supreme, superior being that created the universe, then he has to believe that matter has existed eternally. But the problem with that, of course, is that science itself says that's not so. Science itself, if you're, if you're going to believe what science says, you're going to have to believe that, that matter is eternal but, uh, because, I mean, you can't have something from nothing. And so for, for evolution or for atheism to be true, uh, then the matter must have existed forever. But science but says science they know says it didn't. We know. We know it didn't by yeah. the scientific principles that we observe. Yeah. So that, that would be a first problem. A second problem, which I think is even more significant, is even if you granted that matter always existed, mm-hmm. you'd have to argue that at some point in the past, this non-living matter right. was able to produce living form. Right. You know, that... that Life sprang from non-living matter. The spontaneous generation of life from non-living matter. There's a famous quote by a Harvard professor, a Nobel, a Nobel uh, Prize winner, uh, who said this. His name was George Wald. This is a quote from The Origin of Life in Scientific American. 
He says one has only to contemplate the magnitude of this task, that is, life springing from non-living matter, to concede that spontaneous generation of a living organism is impossible. Yet, here we are, as a result, I believe, of spontaneous generation. In other words, he says, I know it's impossible, but i got to believe in it anyway. Well, yeah, but that's, that's, what, that's right. what the atheist has to do. He that's has what, to. Yeah. And, and it cannot be proven in a laboratory, again, by tweaking and modifying every variable that you can modify. You cannot cause life to ha- come from non-life. Yeah. And yet we're to believe that it happened by chance. Given the very best laboratory conditions, you can't make it happen. No. But we're supposed to believe that just randomly in the open environment yeah, of planet boom. Earth, boom. it happened. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. All right, let's see what our, our emailer said. Um, Jason says they would probably say they are not forced to accept anything. They are free thinkers. But if they are consistent, they must accept the fact that we have no – they would have to believe we have no greater value than any other animal. We have no purpose. We're just a cosmic accident that came by chance. There's no basis for knowledge, truth, and morality. There's not a logical basis upon which science can be conducted, and there is no logical reason to believe that the laws of science, logic, physics, and mathematics will work the same t- tomorrow as they did today. All right. Interesting. And uh, Chris in Atlanta says the atheist is forced to accept that everything we see happened by chance. The odds of this is so enormous that it is a statistical impossibility. It take, I think it takes much more faith to believe an atheist than it, it does to be a Christian. Along those lines, Jason in the chat room says, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. You know, I really think that's a, a, a fair observation. I think it takes a greater act of faith to to believe what the atheists are claiming because they can't prove it. Right. It, 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 uh, eternal matter, spontaneous generation of life. You'd have to, those would have to be accepted as matters of faith right. because they certainly can't be proven. No. Uh, in fact, science is leading you against uh, accepting those and, facts. And in those instances, it would not be faith based upon evidence. It would be a those would truly be a blind leap of faith. Right. In spite of the evidence. In spite of the evidence. Yeah. Exactly right. Okay. All right. Uh, finally, we're just running out of time, but we ask, what advantages do you think the believer has over the unbeliever? Well, I've made a list. Uh, let me read my list real quick, and we can see what our emailer said. As a believer in God, I have... A ready explanation for the existence of the universe. Yes. The knowledge of how such amazing design is found in nature. Right. Information to show why man is superior to and above all other things mm-hmm. uh, in the in the creation. A basis for morality: what's right and what's wrong. Right. And the and the answer to some of life's most challenging questions: where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? Uh, and as we were just saying. I believe that as a believer, I have a much more defensible position than the atheist has. Yes. Okay. Let's see what Ex- our email is. Excellent. Okay. Jason in the ch- in uh, Pennsylvania, who's in the chat room, he says, first and foremost, the believer has the God of heaven on their side. This is the best advantage we can have. We also have the absolute truth. And he's followed up in the chat room. He says, atheists cannot prove anything for certain. There is no such thing as absolute truth if atheism is true. And certainly it. We are. Uh, left to just vague relativism if uh, atheism is true. Right. Chris in Atlanta says, simply put, we have hope and purpose. Okay. I think that's right. And Jack says, based upon this discussion, it takes more faith to believe that intelligence came from nothing than to believe that intelligence was created by intelligence. And more importantly, the believer, if faithful uh, to death, until death, has a home in heaven. Something to look forward to beyond this physical. All right. Exactly right. We went fast, and uh, you've got a couple outlines there that you could supply to our listeners if they're interested in doing. Yeah, some we more our discussion follows some outlines that that we produced a long time ago. So if you like a copy of them, we can send them to you. Free of charge. Free of charge. No charge. Just send us an email. Questions at collegeu.com. All well, right. Good discussion tonight. So we got through that. So that opens us up to head out in new directions next week, Jake. Uh, it could be uh, directions directed by you. If you have a suggestion for a topic, we'd welcome that. If you've got a question you think could, would be good to be answered in this format, we'd like to hear that from you. Uh, send that to questions at collegeview.com. You've gotten some of those in the past. I right. Think we could uh, use some of those, or we could use a new one uh, from our listeners this week. Uh, a good discussion tonight, Dad. Certainly there is plenty of evidence that God does exist. And uh, as we talked about the consequences of not believing in God, there are consequences of believing in God that we have to be prepared to accept as well if there is a God. 
then we need to understand what his will is for us, and we need to be doing that in our lives. And so that's one of the consequences, and it's an unpleasant consequence to those who reject the idea of God, and that is one reason why they object, because they do not want to accept the fact that God has requirements on them. If I accept God, then I have to accept that I have an accountability to God, and that's why a lot of people just don't want to deal with it. That's it. Okay. Thank you for your time tonight, Dad. Thank you, Jacob. Jeff has been behind the controls. Jeff, thank you for being here and for helping out. What do we do? What's the Facebook page, Jeff? It's just the virtual Bible study. You'll see just a blue. Just search for the virtual Bible study. Right, and you'll see the blue background with the number, and there's a picture with it to let you know you're with the right one. It's a plain blue background that says the virtual Bible study. So I hope like you it. like it. Like it. Okay. I, I like it. And I, I like it. I like it. Okay. I, right. like, I like that our listeners joined us tonight. Okay. And I uh, appreciate you being here. And I hope that you'll make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.